keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Good morning to you. Today is Thursday, April 6th, 2023. Today is the Feast of St. Aphrates, also known as Aphrahat, was born in Persia in 280 and died in 345. He was an anchorite and a sage who had the power of working miracles. He was a defender of the Catholic faith against the Arians in the 4th century. While the details of his miracles are unknown, it is fascinating to see a saint who used miracles as a form of apologetics. It is not clear why Our Lady does not give us his power to work miracles against today's heretics, but it is believed that the specific grace that the counter-revolutionary receives is a special grace that gives him the possibility to see the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church Church is the true church, that the civil order based on Catholic doctrine is the true civil and temporal order. This grace relies, like any grace, on acceptance of the will. These characteristics give us such clarity on what the true religion is that we do not need the work of miracles. Saint Aphrates is a reminder that miracles are not necessary for our sanctification, and the miracle of faith is what is truly noble and beautiful. Saint Aphrates, pray for us. Good morning to you. Today is Monday, Thursday. Good morning. Monday, Thursday comes from the word meaning mandatum Thursday or mandate because uh, our Lord today gave the mandate to do likewise. Do what likewise? Well, you're going to find out during the gospel today because that's what we're going to cover the mandatum, what our Lord commanded us to do today. And so will you heed our Lord's words or will you not? That is the question but good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Good morning, Adrian. What a wonderful day. It's the beginning of Tritium, and uh, today's Monday, Thursday, where I am going, my wife and I will be going to Walsingham, Our Lady of Walsingham, to begin the ceremonies, the Mass. So where are you heading to? Well, we shall see, depending on how the rain holds out. I'm going to try to make it to Brownsville oh. to, for the Triduum this week. Uh, we'll see if the rain holds, then I'll be able to make it out there. If the rain does not hold, then I will have to adapt, and uh, we will see how what I do instead. But as of right now, the rain doesn't seem too bad, and I have my plan to drive out to five hours out to, to Brownsville for the uh, pre-55 Holy Week that they're doing, the tree one they're doing there down there. It's going to be a very beautiful time. A friend of mine invited me out and offered, uh, they said, asked, they told me that uh, if I came, if I made the trip out there, they would uh, let me serve the Mass. And I was like, no way, that would be pretty awesome. I've never served a, a pre-55 Holy Week before, so that would be pretty dope. Yeah. Um, before I forget, Sean Rice, our general manager out in South and Central Texas, the San Antonio area, sent me a message, and I completely forgot to read it the rest of this week. He asked if I could announce that April 7th, that would be tomorrow, is the last day to register for the GRN South and Central Texas Fishers of Men Dinner. Monsignor Charles Pope, a longtime Catholic media contributor and our Friday host for GRN's A Life Lived Joyfully, will be the keynote speaker. Also, and more importantly, he's been a guest on CDT like four times. And the Fishers of Men honorees this year will be the Salesian Sisters of St. John Bosco. I love Salesians. 
Last day to register is Friday, April 7th. That's Friday, April 7th. To register, go to grnonline.com and click on the local events or call Sean Rice, the general manager, at 210-579-9844. That's 210-579-9844. So make sure you do that. Uh, there you go. I remembered today. I apologize, mea culpa, for forgetting the rest of this week. At 15 past the hour, we're going to be talking about how the Vatican overturned three papal bulls. Can the Vatican do that? Is that allowed? What were these bulls and why did the Vatican overturn those? We're going to be discussing that at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, we're in Holy Week and today is going to be the last show that's live for this week and before Easter. Uh, so tomorrow is going to be a pre-recorded show. And so we will not be live because tomorrow is Good Friday. So if you can, make sure you get off of work early or not call in sick or get that day off if you can. Uh, do whatever you can. And if you can't get off of work, then just as soon as you're off of work, then head home. Uh, get your family together. Head over to Holy Mass. Or actually, you can't go to Holy Mass, but you can uh, go to whatever service the your church is having because uh, Mass tends not to happen that day. And then Correct. you can uh, go to Station the Cross, pray some Seven Stars Rosaries, things like that. So make sure you keep Good Friday holy. Do whatever you can to do that. At 30 past the hour, Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen today will be joining us to give us some Lenten missions. It's going to be a good time to be able to actually meditate upon some of the mysteries of our Lord's passion and death. It'll be a great time with Bishop Sheen today. All right. Let's jump in with prayer. As always, we are praying for your intentions, for our friends, our family, our benefactors, for all those that we promise to pray for. We pray for all these and that you have a blessed and holy and penitential rest of the Triduum. We begin in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Oremus, O God, who taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by the gift of the same Spirit we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Today is Maundy, Thursday, April 6, and these are your headlines. Crux reports a 454-page report from the Maryland Attorney General's Office published yesterday details more than 600 instances of child sex abuse by 156 abusers from the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Today's report from the Maryland AG is first and foremost a sad and painful reminder of the tremendous harm caused to innocent children and young people by some ministers of the church, Archbishop Laurie of Baltimore said in a statement yesterday. The detailed accounts of abuse are shocking and soul-searing. Catholic News Agency reports armed bandits killed one person and kidnapped more than 100 others last week on a raid in a predominantly Catholic town in north-central Nigeria, according to a Catholic priest and other local sources, Father Dauda Musa Bahago, a coordinator for Justice Development and Peace Commission, a Catholic aid organization, told Catholic News Agency the attack took place in his hometown of Aduna. Three weeks after the attack, 62 people are still being held for ransom by Muslim Fulani bandits, Bahago said. One man, Moses Takando Arada, was killed week, a week later when no ransom was paid and the kidnappers released 
three women as part of the negotiation process, he said. Vatican News reports during Chrism Mass in the Vatican yesterday, uh, on Holy Thursday, Pope Francis thanks priests for the good they do, which so often goes unrecognized, and he encourages them to invoke the Holy Spirit as a breath of each day, which, even in times of crisis, gives them joy and points them in the right direction toward Christ. And finally, Church Pop reports Mel Gibson mourns the death of Passion of the Christ actor who played St. John. Quote, I'll miss him, end quote, Mel Gibson says. Christo Jivkov, who portrayed St. John in The Passion, died on Friday, March 31st, at age 48 in L.A. The actor, who was born in Bulgaria, specialized in film directing at the Bulgarian Academy, the Bulgarian film production company he co-founded. Those were your headlines this morning. May God bless you all. The Gospel of the Day comes from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. Before the Paschal Feast began, Jesus already knew that the time had come for His passage from the world to the Father. He still loved those who were His own, and one of whom He was leaving the world, and He would give them the uttermost proof of His love. Supper was over, and the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon, the Iscariot, to betray him. Jesus knew well that the Father had left everything in his hands, knew it was from God that he came, and to God that he went. And now, rising from supper, he laid his garments aside, took a towel, and put it about him. And then he poured water into the basin, and began to wash the feet of his disciples, wiping them with the towel that girded him. So when he came to Simon Peter, Peter asked him, Lord, is it for thee to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, It is not for thee to know. Now what I am doing, but thou wouldst understand it afterwards. Peter said to him, I will never let thee wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash thee, it means thou hast no companionship with me. Then Lord said Peter, Wash my hands and my head too, not only my feet. But Jesus told him, a man who has bathed does not need to be more than washed the stains from his feet. He is clean all over, and you are clean now, only not all of you. He knew who was his betrayer, that it was why he said, You are not all clean. Then when he had finished washing their feet and put on his garments, he sat down again and said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You held me as the master and the Lord, and you are right. It is what I am. Why then have I have washed your feet, I who am the Master and the Lord? You in your turn ought to wash each other's feet. I have been setting you an example, which will teach you in your turn to do what I have done for you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Cornelius Lapide had a lot to say about today. One thing of note is that the early church believed that washing of the feet was a sacrament. Why? Because this is a mandatum, a requirement by God. He told them, you must do this. If you are going to be my servants, then you must do as the master does. And later it was determined that it was not one of the seven sacraments, though in the East and in many other places, the Ambrosian Rite, the washing the feet was kept with baptism. Fun facts. Again, I don't know if that's the case still today, but it was the case before. Again, John here assigns three very fitting and efficacious motives which impel Christ to wash the feet of his disciples. The first is that the Father gave all things into his hands. That is because the Father entrusted to him the salvation of mankind and committed their whole care for him. 
for this trust incited him to leave to mankind before his departure these stupendous examples of humility and charity. As for what is meant by the Father's marking over all things, see my remarks on Mark on Matthew eleven twenty seven. I hate whenever Cornelius Lopetti does it. He's like, go see my commentary on this passage. I'm not going to repeat myself. It's like, could you just repeat yourself? That would be helpful. The second motive was that he came forth from God. It was fitting that Christ and Son, the Son, should be should by this washing of feet manifest his supreme love and reverence towards God the Father. For by nothing is God more honored and gratified than by our humility. Thirdly, it was that he went to God knowing that his death was near at hand and wishing that his last act of his life to be one of the most sublime virtue. He would now do an act of the greatest charity and humility and leave it as a legacy to posterity. He rises from supper and lays aside his garments and taking a towel gird himself. Now, Cornelius Lapide points this out and says that this is an example that he and that he enumerates all the actions conditions and circumstances of the washing of the feet to show how attentive exact and observant of decorum christ was in this as in all else that he did that he may learn to do likewise even in the smallest matters according to the words of ecclesiasticus and all thy works be thou careful to excel now this is a very practical uh, lesson for us right here that we should hold every action we do to be in excellence. Do nothing except in excellence. Be attentive. Be exact. Be observant in all of our actions, whether it be at work, whether it be at school, whether it be at home. All of our actions should be in this way because it imitates Christ, who in all that he did, he kept things perfectly ordered and set aside to do well. If we do not do things well, then we do not do things like Christ. Symbolically, St. Ambrose says, the water was the heavenly dew. That is why it was prophesied that, that with the heavenly dew, the Lord Jesus should wash the feet of his disciples. And later on, come, therefore, O Lord Jesus, put off the garments that thou hast for my sake put upon thee. Be thou naked, that thou mayest clothe us with thy mercy. Gird thyself for our sake, that with linens, that thou mayest gird us with the immortality of thy free gift. Pour water in the basin, and wash not our feet only, but our head also, and not only those of the body, but I would also put off the foot soles of the mind, all the uncleanliness of my frailty, that I too may say I have put off my garments in the night, how shall I put it on? I have washed my feet, how shall I soil them? Amen. Let us meditate upon this. Let's keep the mandatum and be humble like our Lord. Hey, Donnie, in what gospel do we find the Hail Mary prayer? The gospel of Luke. Do we worship Mary? No. What do we do? Ask her to pray for us. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and early Church Fathers ever wrote any like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching of the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback, that Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Now, there was a story that I saw that was very concerning to me. The title of the story says, Rome cancels anti-Muslim papal bulls as un-Catholic. Now, this is very concerning to me for a number of reasons. This was published by Jules Gomez, Dr. Jules Gomez, who we've had on the show many times out of England. He says, scholars say Vatican is appeasing Islam by spinning bulls as xenophobic. Now, this is very concerning because the, I, the action of overturning papal bulls, it can be a very, very sketchy thing. Why? Because papal bulls, the problem here is that papal bulls are not a specific category of the magisterium of the church. A papal bull describes a type of letter, basically. It's a later a letter that is written by a Roman pontiff, signed with his name and sealed with his seal. The word bull literally referred to the seal itself, so if it had the papal seal on it. Now, many people may say, okay, well, then that not that infallible? Well, the answer is no, not exactly. Uh, it can be infallible. But it's not necessarily infallible. And that's the kind of the hiccup here. That you'd have to analyze all of these papal bulls to find out what degree of authority do these documents have. Now, let me read it to you, the part of the story. It says here, the Vatican has abrogated three papal bulls claiming that the documents are offensive to indigenous peoples and have never been considered expressions of the Catholic faith. Now, here is the first concern here. For the Vatican to say that this has never been considered an expression of the Catholic faith, then what exactly, what exactly is the role of the Roman pontiff according to the Vatican? If what the Pope, because remember, a papal bull is a letter written by the Pope. So if the Vatican is now saying that the Pope can express things to the entirety of the church, because these letters are addressed to the church... So if the Pope can address letters to the entirety of the church that are considered never having been considered expressions of the Catholic faith, that's a very concerning situation. So does that mean that still applies today? So is John Paul II, Paul VI, Benedict, and Pope Francis now able to, we can, we can say, oh, what Pope Francis said has never been considered expressions of the Catholic faith. Does that mean it's okay to say that now? Is that what they're saying? I'm very, very interested into 
how they would draw that out in a further to draw it to its logical conclusion. And going on, the article says the Bulls doomed De, De, De Versus and Romanus Pontifex and Intercatera contain the basis of the doctrine of discovery, which is not part of the teachings of the Catholic Church, the Vatican has announced. Cultural imperialism. The Church acknowledges that these papal bulls did not adequately reflect the equal dignity and rights of indigenous peoples, the dicasteries for culture and education, and for promoting in integral human development, said in a joint statement published Thursday. The Vatican dicasteries quoted Pope Francis' words endorsing the repeal of the bulls, quote, Never again can the Christian community allow itself to be infected by the idea that one culture is superior to others or that it is legitimate to employ ways of coercing others, end quote. Now, there's two points here. He made two claims. Claim number one, we can never say one culture is better than another. And claim number two, we can never have ways of coercing others. It's never legitimate to use ways of coercing others. Both of these things are false. Um, one, of course some cultures are better than others. So you're saying that a culture that is a cannibal, a cannibalistic culture, and then Catholic culture are both equal? Both cultures are, are no, no, neither one of those is superior to the other? Or even, even compare a pagan to pagan nations. You have one pagan nation that does not murder and cannibalize people, and you have another pagan nation that does. And you can't say that one is superior to the other? That's absurd. It's absurd on its face. And the second point, that it's, it is never legitimate to employ ways of coercing others. Now, obviously, if you mean you're trying to force people to convert by putting a gun to their head, of course that's false. Of course that's wrong. Of course we reject that. The church has always said that you cannot force someone to become Catholic. Now, to coerce, now maybe your, someone might say, okay, well, you have to read the Pope's uh, words in context. You have to say, okay, well, the Holy Father didn't mean uh, by threatening someone. He, he, what he meant was by coerce, he means you can't uh, threaten someone with their life. Well, maybe. But coerce just means to put pressure on someone. And you, we can put pressure on people to convert. You can say, hey, here, here's some evidence, or here, and, and think about this. During Christendom, we never forced anybody to become Catholic in Christendom. That never was the case. But the Catholic Church was the only church that had legitimate rights. And so if you lived in a Catholic country, you were coerced to become Catholic. You weren't forced, but it was coerced, because if you were Catholic, it was easier to live. You had uh, tax breaks. You had uh, certain holidays off that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, if you were working in, if you were a, a person of a different religion, you had to sp have certain days of the, of the year where you had to listen to a preacher. So they'd send in a preacher and they would come and they'd preach to, to you. You, didn't, you were never required to convert. You were never required to do any kind of uh, Catholic worship, but you were required to listen. You had to listen to a preacher and it was up to you to decide whether or not you wanted to convert or not. So there were elements of coercion that we've used in the church. And now Pope Francis is saying all those things that we've done in the past are wrong and we should never have done so. And they're not legitimate. That's very concerning. Now, going on, the article says, since the magisterium upholds, quotes, upholds the respect due to every human being, the Catholic Church, therefore, repudiates those concepts that fail to recognize the inherent human rights of indigenous peoples, including 
what has become known as the legal and political doctrine of discovery, the Vatican statement categorically declared. The bull's contents were manipulated for political purposes by competing colonial powers in order to justify immoral acts against indigenous people that were carried out at times without opposition from ecclesiastical authorities, the statement added. Now, there's a lot to be said here about what was and was not actually happening, and it would be uh, an interesting conversation to have with a historian. You should check out, I did a interview about Columbus, because a lot of this sounds like a declaration against Columbus, um, the, those kind of things that were happening there, but it's actually about Islam, but just for a second. Columbus, very clearly, the things that he's claimed to have done did not happen. The church was always against the abuse of the indigenous peoples. This is a very misleading, and it's just shocking to see this come out of the Vatican. To see these kind of ideas come out of the Vatican is very, very concerning to me. Now, the other thing to note is that obviously there are things that are not good, but what many people are not finding out about this document is that whenever it says that the, the papal bulls were manipulated for political purposes, well, if the Vatican is coming out and saying, look, if we have had documents and declarations from popes in the past that were manipulated by political purposes and we have to reject those because they're immoral, well, let's take that principle and apply it to the modern world. So does that mean that if there are declarations by the Roman pontiff today that are manipulated for political purposes, that we have an obligation to disobey them and that we have to recognize them as immoral? Is that the case? Is that what they're saying? Because it sounds like that's what they're saying. It's always interesting to me because a lot of people say things that you need to be brought to the logical conclusion. You have to think things through and you have to apply it all the way through to the end. And the document goes on. But top Islamic scholars said that the Vatican has annulled the bulls, not so much because of their purported relationship to colonialism and slavery, but because the documents were offensive to Islam and an obstacle to ongoing dialogue. The the revocation of these bulls is likely a result of France's ongoing dialogue with the Grand Imam Al-Azahir Ahmad Al-Tayyib, says Robert Spencer. That dialogue only resumed after Al-Tayyib broke it off during the papacy of Benedict XVI, when Francis agreed not to criticize Islam or speak out against Muslim persecution of Christians. Al-Zayyib, meanwhile, made no similar concessions. The dialogue is entirely one-sided, Spencer noted. The public repudiation of these long-forgotten documents is intended to buttress the Pope's efforts to engage Islamic groups in the dialogue, which results only in the issuance of something so soothing falsehoods and will not prevent a single Christian from Muslim persecution, Spencer added. By spinning and condemning these bulls as xenophobic calls to justify slavery, it seems that the Vatican is really as usual, trying to appease Islam in keeping with Pope Francis's and Grand Imam al-Zaib a pre-approachment, which continues to be one way. This is very, very concerning situation. Now, the other thing that is important to note is that Dum Devisaris, or Divirsas, rather, was issued in 1452 that the Sultan Muhammad II laid siege to Constantinople leading to its brutal fall in 1453. At the same time, Muslims from North Africa were terrorizing the Iberian Peninsula and the broader Mediterranean through the constant devastating slave raids. Thus, whether in Christendom's furthest east, Constantinople, or west, Iberia, Muslims were 
massacring and enslaving countless Christians. This was from Ibram's, the author of Sword and Simiter, the 14th centuries of war between Islam and the West. That's from that book. Now, this document was put out in order to justify, to explain how this is a just war that we're engaging in to defend Catholics around the world, to defend against the enemies of Holy Mother Church, to defend against the enslavement and massacre of Christians in our homelands. Because you have to remember that the, the Muslims took over the Holy Land. This belonged to the church. The Holy Land belongs to the church. It does not belong to the Muslims, even in this time. And when the Muslims took over it, it was not a revolution where the church came in and took over the Holy Land. It was a counter-revolution. It was a retaking of the Holy Land. It was a taking back what is rightfully ours. The Holy Land was a land that our Lord walked. It belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is king, and it belongs to us as Catholics. Now, the bull condemned the perfidious enemies of the cross, especially the Saracens and all other infidels, and orders the excommunications of those who send the Muslims weapons and other things prohibited by the law. This is not an overstatement. This is not something that is wrong. The enemies of the church should be, and people who fund the enemies of the church to kill Christians should be repudiated. This is a very concerning story. I recommend you check it out. Go to, uh, this is published by Church Militant uh, by Dr. Jules Gomez. Rome cancels anti-Muslim papal bulls as un-Catholic. A very concerning story. Something that we probably will readdress and because it has a lot of a lot of connotations that I think goes beyond just the situation here with the Muslims, it also says a lot about how we should take uh, papal documents in general, how we should take the way uh, what the uh, what the Vatican says, what Rome says about things. And it's very concerning the way they they set these things out. I mean that we should not bury our heads in the sand and pretend it's not happening. It says a lot. And we should definitely keep our eyes on this story and everything else that's coming out of Rome. Uh, when we come back, a Lenten mission. Let's end the Holy Week and the Triduum out with the bang with Fulton Sheen today. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who are the ten most well-known preachers in America? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's the list. Copeland, Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, Stephen Furtick, Andy Stanley, Robert Jeffers, Rick Warren, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur. Well, secondly, all these pastors say the same thing on Sunday morning, which is, turn with me in your Bible. Well, then how's the harmony regarding, say, eternal security, disagreement, present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, Disagreement. Relationship of baptism to salvation. Disagreement. Church government. Disagreement. Life beginning at conception until natural death. Disagreement. And eschatology. Disagreement. So what's going on here? Well, if you are someone who says, all I need is the word of God, brother, because the Bible is going to give me everything I need to live out the Jesus life. Okay. Hope you've already ditched your favorite blogger, your favorite preacher, your favorite podcaster, and most of all, your religious Google searches. Well, speaking of Google searches, I do request one last Google search for you. Magisterium. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. I love the shows with the Catholic apologists. I love the shows with the sort of day-to-day psychologist, Greg and Lisa Popchek. I love hearing not just of other people's problems who call in, but I love getting the Catholic take on how to deal with day-to-day reality. 
The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Maundy Thursday, April 6, 2023, in the year of our Lord. And these are your headlines for this morning. OSV News reports a bill that would require clergy to report child abuse or neglect in Washington state is under consideration by the legislature, but some have expressed concern that this bill would force priests to violate civil law in order to uphold church law regarding the seal of confession. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states that priests are strictly forbidden from divulging what penitents tell them during confession, part of the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and states that information a penitent divulges is under seal and incurs automatic excommunication. Catholic News Agency reports no let-up from Ortega during Holy Week. Priests are expelled, traditions banned in Nicaragua. The dictatorship of Daniel Ortega hasn't declared a truce in its persecution of the Catholic Church in Nicaragua, not even during Holy Week. The only intention of the police continues to be to intimidate the population and prohibit any Catholic public manifestations because they are angry with the people who express their faith, a resident of the area told a newspaper in Nicaragua. Catholic News Agency reports Archbishop Michael O'Jackles of Dubuque, Iowa has resigned for health reasons. The Archbishop was hospitalized for a heart attack in 2019. He returned to ministry with the permission of his cardiolo cardiologist. He thanked the people of his Archdiocese for their prayers in a message published in the now-closed online publication, The Witness. And finally, BBC News reports far-left extremist Brandon Johnson won the Chicago mayoral election. This neo-socialist has called for defunding police departments, implementing new heavy taxes, increasing public funding of failing public schools, and elim eliminating exams for students. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. And joining us right now via Zoom is Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen Today. That's Bishop Sheen Today, not Fulton Sheen Today. Uh, right before the last break i i accidentally said fulton sheen and today i always want to say fulton sheen i don't know what it is i this the name fulton i just really like that name um like uh, as if it was my name once uh, good morning to you uh, alan smith uh good morning atrian uh, again happy holy thursday uh to you and our audience uh, listening in today and uh, what better way to get us ready for this uh beautiful Easter celebrations then to uh, refresh our minds with the wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Now, you're being very generous uh, with us today, Mr. Alan Smith, because uh, you have given a series of talks uh, all throughout the season of Lent for missions on four different topics. Uh, where is a crucifix in your life? Behold your mother. Lord, teach us to pray. And how Fulton Sheen teaches us to overcome sin, practice virtue, and live the Beatitudes. And you're going to give us today a condensed version of that free of charge uh, without having people having to fly out to your talks. And it's a what a grace that we have to have you on this morning. Uh, where would you like to start? Do you want to start from the top uh, with where is the crucifix in your life? Yeah, we'll, we'll start with that. Um, you know, people that know me know that I give these uh, parish missions and, um, you know, it's a process where you bring them on a spiritual journey. And uh, so I always begin with the crucifix and ask the question, where is the crucifix in your life? 
And it, it is an important question because uh, when I grew up as a child, there was a crucifix in every room. Uh, the school I attended had a crucifix in every classroom. Uh, it was common to see crucifixes in public office buildings, uh, in supermarkets. Uh, they were everywhere because they were part of the culture. But sadly, through legislation and uh, to uh, some degree uh, ignorance of, of the faith and of not practicing, uh, the crucifix has disappeared. And uh, I remember uh, I was attending a mission one time, and there was a passionist priest, uh, Father Claudio, who uh, gave the mission, and he asked us one question. He said, how many of you have a crucifix uh, in your pocket and carry it with you through the day and uh, take the crucifix out from time to time and kiss the crucifix and thank the Lord for dying for you. How many of you do that? And sadly, I think all of us uh, answered in the negative. We, we don't carry a crucifix with us. We don't uh, take the time to put a crucifix in our hand and look upon it tenderly and to kiss the crucifix, um, it's disappeared in our lives. And uh, again, I think of the lives of the saints, and I read the books, um, and there's always pictures of the saints, and what are the saints holding? They're holding the crucifix, and so how important that is. And so I encourage everyone to uh, put the crucifix back in their life, uh, to develop a devotion to the crucifix, uh, but especially to meditate on what our Lord said from the cross, those beautiful seven last words. And um, I think this is uh, something that uh, is a great starting point. Um, I sometimes would say, if I gave you $100 for every crucifix that you could find, um, you would scatter, <laughs> you would scurry through the house and open every drawer and find those crucifixes. And um, you would have that. And uh, it's amazing that when you put a bounty on it, but still, I think um, I can't, it's a beautiful challenge. And so this is what I do, is I say to people, put the crucifix back in your life. And it's amazing what will happen. Uh, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen said, he says, you know, you can have a statue of a Buddha in your garden. You can have a beautiful picture of Niagara Falls on your wall or the seven wonders of the world. But put a crucifix on your desk for three days and it will change you. It will change you. So, again, that is the beginning challenge. And I don't know, uh, Adrian, if you have comments on uh, the crucifix, but it is a beautiful holy habit to develop. And I think this is where we'll begin. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know too many people who, who do that kind of thing. You know, the, the crucifix is something, you know, uh, St. Paul, he said that to preach Christ and Christ crucified, right? And the only time that uh, St. Paul is a failure in his preaching was whenever he did not preach Christ crucified. That's the only time when he failed in his dialogues with the, with the Jewish people and with the Gentiles. He did not preach Christ crucified. And so this idea of having the crucifix on the forefront of our mind, you know, I just think about, I was listening to a Lenten mission a number of years ago from a traditional redemptorist priest, and he gave us these little bitty holy cards and in the holy card i just put it to memory because it was just so beautiful and i repeat it constantly it had a picture of this very i don't i almost want to say grotesque but it was a beautiful but it was a grotesque 
crucifix, very, very uh, vitriol. It was just heart-wrenching to look at. And in it, on the text below it, it said, The wounds of Christ are flaming arrows that pierce the hardest hearts and inflame the coldest souls. And I just put that to memory because I look at the crucifix. You look at the these real crucifixes that look like the Shroud of Turin, and you think to yourself, wow, our Lord did this. He allowed this to happen to himself. He willed it to happen to himself for love of me. And that just, it just strikes you in a way that it just doesn't, for, for any nothing else in the world compares. Yes, and I think this is what Fulton Sheen was counting on was uh, he would gift people tiny little crucifixes and uh, put them on their persons. Um, he knew if he, if the person carried the crucifix with them, uh, there might be that opportunity where they look upon the crucifix and realize that Jesus died for them and that they had um, a part to play in his crucifixion in that it was their sins that put Jesus on the cross. And so uh, that gentle reminder of uh, a debt that we owe God, uh, he paid the debt for us. And so, uh, again, we need that reminder in our lives. It's so important. So, uh, again, I cannot uh, stress enough to everyone is find a crucifix, carry it with you. Uh, there's beautiful little pardon crucifixes that you can carry that have an indulgence attached. Uh, so it's so beautiful. So do that do that. And again, uh, I, I'm, um, you know, saddened. I'm a man of trade and many times the most beautiful crucifixes are down in the furnace room. Uh, they're kind of hidden away. So uh, go throughout your house today, especially as we approach this holy season uh, to find a crucifix and put them back up on the walls, back on your desk, back in your pockets and have that beautiful devotion to the crucifix. I cannot stress that enough. Amen. Amen. Before we head over to a break, let's uh, tee up the second point, uh, which is going to be behold your mother. Yes. And I think this is what we do. Okay. We, we have this relationship now with our Lord on the cross. We're starting to focus in on his agony and, of course, dying for our sins. But at the foot of the cross is his mother. Uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary is suffering a great tragedy. She's losing her son, again, because of our sin. And so I think what we need to do is develop this relationship with Mary. We talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, but how often do we say, I have a personal relationship with the Blessed Virgin Mary? Um, it is something that we don't really can say with great uh, conviction, Yes, I have a relationship with the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, we're all working on our conversations with God and Jesus, but are we working on our conversations with Our Lady? And this is what Fulton Sheen does. He pricks our conscience and says to us, you have to have her in your life. Um, this, there's, there's, she is the refuge of sinners. You need her. Amen. Amen. We're going to pick up right there when we come back with... Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen. Today, we're talking Behold Your Mother. We'll be right back. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Which of these is the most difficult for you to objectively believe? Jonah lived in a whale? Moses heard God's voice in a bush? Peter's authoritative declarations would be backed by heaven? Or that Daniel survived the flames of fire? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the results. Most difficult was Jonah, then Daniel, then Moses. The easiest was Peter receiving authority to grant forgiveness. Secondly, the early church was tough. You see, that authority granted to Peter could put one out of the church due to sin, and that same authority was installed to bring one back into the church through personal confession. We understand that reconciliation with the church is inseparable from reconciliation with God. And thirdly, our Bibles are filled with promises, but this promise was to Peter, the apostles, and the generational successors of Peter known as the Catholic bishops. So here's an idea. Take a drive down your street, look up at a Catholic church, and just know this for a fact. That priest inside that church was ordained straight down through the lineage of St. Peter. Hey, Donnie, who were the first two people God created? Adam and Eve. There you go. And what did we inherit from them? Original sin. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's good to be here with you today. It's so good to be here on this Monday Thursday. Not Monday Thursday, Monday Thursday. Mandatum Thursday, you may call it. The day our Lord commanded us to wash each other's feet, to be humble as he is humble. And who greater to talk about humility than the great, the illustrious, Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen today. We're discussing Behold Your Mother, speaking of humility, Behold Your Mother, the, the model of humility, Our Lady. Um, before we went to break, we were talking about how we really, not so many of us do not have a personal relationship with the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, you know, I can't help but think when Alan was talking about that, about how my closest friends, my best friends, I was really, really good friends with their mothers. And I'm just thinking specifically about my my buddy, Sean, who he's actually getting married next weekend. And whenever we were growing up, we would uh, actually call I would call his mother, mom, and we would uh, talk about uh, we would just uh, it was just a very fun little thing that we would do with one another. And she would be like, oh, yeah, that's my other son. Uh, She was uh, Vietnamese. And we actually would we he his mother would drop us off at school and my dad would pick us up. And so we actually convinced some people at our school that we were siblings. Uh, and so it was really funny, even though we, were, we looked nothing alike. But that's just the, exactly what I'm thinking about when I uh, talk about, whenever I heard you say that, Alan, uh, what are your thoughts about this relationship we have to have with the mother if someone that we, have to, that we want to be good friends with? Right. And, and I think of how um, our Lord, our blessed Lord, he gave Our Lady as a special gift to us. Um, when he was on the cross, he was saying those beautiful words, uh, woman, behold your son, and to the disciple he loved, behold your mother. Um, he was doing a very prudent act. He was saying, if there's anyone else I can leave humanity with, who better than the Blessed Virgin Mary? And so I think of Mary as gift. 
Uh, she's a gift given to us by God. And uh, of course, when we look at the scriptures, we find the Blessed Virgin Mary mothering the infant church. And uh, she's that mother we're to go to. Uh, you know, we all say, how do we become better Christians? Um, well, who better to go to than uh, the woman that formed Christ? And uh, she formed him for 30 years in Nazareth. And of course, uh, again, it's right there. It's so in front of our noses. Uh, if we're struggling, go to her. And uh, we look at the foot of the cross and the dan and just the drama unfolding. And who uh, is Our Lady's companion? Magdalene. Uh, again, she knew that Mary was the refuge of sinners. So uh, we're to go to be consoled by her. We're to go to her to be formed by her. Uh, and we're to go to her to be loved by her. Um, and of course, the more we can love her, uh, the better our relationships will be. And, and I always say to people, maybe apologize to the Blessed Mother once in a while um, and reconcile with her because it's great to be right with your mother. And uh, I cannot stress that enough. Amen. Amen. You know, I want to move on to the third point, but last point on this, I just, we could, I could do, we could just talk for hours about the Blessed Virgin and the, a very wise, uh, woman. I, I, she's, I hear she's incredibly beautiful. Uh, Paisley on YouTube says, if you want to get into the house, you need to get past the mother. And I was like, ooh, yeah, that's right. That's right. If if mom doesn't want you over, you ain't coming over. And and that's about it. Uh, so good luck to you. So if you uh, don't have a relationship with our Lord's mother, uh, good luck getting in. Uh, let's move over to this third point here. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, this and the Fulton Sheen did a, did a whole book, uh, has several talks and all sorts of things. You have this book out, Lord, Teach Us to Pray by Sophia Institute Press. Uh, tell me about Lord, Teach Us to Pray, Alan Smith. Right. Well, everyone is struggling with prayer. Um, again, it's a basic, uh, uh, again, a common problem, I like to say. Everybody says, so oh, I need improvement in this area especially. And Fulton Sheen knew that. And so he gave us a beautiful formula of using the seven last words from our Lord's cross uh, and applying them to the Our Father and to the Mass. And so that uh, those prayers are the most um, used prayers. Okay, we all pray the Our Father every day, uh, hopefully a number of times each day. And hopefully many of us go to Mass at least once a week and sometimes maybe a few more times than that. But still, you have this opportunity to uh, increase your devotion and to think of our Lord on the cross and this beautiful uh, sermon he gave from Mount Calvary, the seven last words. And so uh, he wants the Our Father to come alive for you. He wants the Mass to come alive. Uh, so many people complain. They say, I don't get much out of Mass. Well, what are you bringing to Mass? And are you a spectator? Are you an actor in the drama of the cross and at Holy Mass? So um, again, the whole book, Lord Teach Us to Pray, is a, a beautiful suggestion of taking time to look to our Lord and apply the seven last words to the Our Father and the Mass, and of course, to make the Holy Hour each day. And I think this is what Fulton Sheen does so beautifully. He challenges us to say, are you carving out an hour a day for the Lord. Uh, we're here to tithe our uh, worldly possessions. I like to think we give 10% of our, um, you know, funds to charity. But are we giving 10% of our time to God? 
Are we carving out an hour or two a day for our Lord? So uh, a beautiful challenge. So uh, we want help in prayer. Uh, go to the Lord, go to Our Lady, and uh, be generous, and the Lord will return the favor. Amen. Amen. And Alan, before we uh, move on, uh, Alan, teach us to pray. What are you planning on doing for the Triduum in terms of uh, your devotionals, your uh, means of getting closer to God uh, during this Holy Triduum? I have made a resolve to pay attention. Um, sometimes I think we're just trying to get through, um, you know, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. We just want to get her done. Um, and that's a, a common mistake we all make. But I'm going to be very attentive. I'm going to listen uh, to the words uh, said at Holy Mass. I'm going to be very attentive on Good Friday, uh, looking forward to the veneration of the cross. Um, so I want to be intentional um, this time. And I think that's my resolve, is to do that, to pay attention and to have a greater devotion. Amen. That's a good resolve, especially since the, the ceremonies for Triduum are so beautiful. They're so long, but they are so beautiful and they're uh, they're venerable. They're unlike any other time of the year. And so meditating upon them and actually being able to to pay attention and to keep your eyes focused. You know, it's interesting you say that. The the Eastern Rite, I went to a Eastern Rite church a couple months ago, and it was kind of funny to me because it was all in English, but it was all very foreign because it was very different from what I'm used to. And the, the deacon pops out from behind the, um, I don't even know what they call it, the, the root screen, basically, and says, uh, and he says, listen, pay attention uh, before, uh, throughout the Mass, randomly, randomly throughout the Mass. And I, I thought that was kind of, a, kind of a funny little thing, but it's a great point. Uh, during the sacred ceremonies, we need to listen and pay attention. We have to be attentive. Uh, we, can, we need to keep watch with our Lord, um, just as the apostles did, or did not do, rather, at Gethsemane. Uh, let's go on to this point three here. Uh, this is a big one. How Fulton Sheen teaches us how to overcome sin, practice virtue, and live the Beatitudes. How on earth do you give this talk in one day? Well, you know, again, uh, you can do it. I mean, usually I'm given an hour to to speak. Um, and a lot of times we'll give a, this talk and, and split it into two. Uh, uh, usually, again, how to overcome the seven deadly sins. And, of course, another talk of how to practice the virtues and live the Beatitudes. Uh, but usually on a parish mission, there's always uh, confession. And so this is the great primer um, for confession, to get people to think about their sins and uh, to possibly have some remedies uh, that uh, can help them overcome the sins. And I think this is what Fulton Sheen does best. He helps us to understand the seven deadly sins are the seven pallbearers of the soul, and yet there are answers to those sins in the seven last words. And, you know, just briefly, I can name them quickly and you'll see the connection. Um, you know, for the people who uh, struggle with the sin of anger, he gives those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, and you think that's just perfect advice. The Lord is asking us to forgive our neighbor because he forgave us. So if you're anger, angry at your neighbor, of course, forgive him. 
Um, again, don't be the judge. That's God's job. Uh, we, we think of the sin envy. We think of the good thief. Uh, he didn't envy uh, our Lord. His fellow thief, of course, envied the power of our Lord because he said, if you be the Christ, get us down from the cross. Uh, but yet uh, the good thief um, rebuked his fellow thief and went to the Lord and said, Lord, remember me. And so if you're struggling for the sin, from the sin of envy, think of the good thief and those beautiful words of our Lord, this day you'll be with me in paradise. To those who struggle with the sin of lust, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary is the remedy. Uh, she is purity, so go to her. Uh, she is the refuge of sinners. As I said, uh, Magdalene was her companion on that fateful day uh, at the foot of the cross. And so you see that connection there between the third word and the sin of lust. For the sin of pride, he says the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, again, something very beautiful to be humble. Uh, of course, our Lord was humbling himself. And uh, again, those people who are pride, humility is something they run away from. That's for sure. And of course, the sin of gluttony, uh, the words, I thirst, our Lord uh, is making reparation for our sins of gluttony, but uh, giving us a great um, uh, remedy in this idea of replacing um, our lower loves with a higher love, that we thirst for the Lord. Uh, to the sin of laziness, he says it is finished. Our Lord got his mission done. Uh, we need to get our mission done. And finally, the sin of greed, uh, our Lord says, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Uh, give God your holy will. So you can see that's a Coles Notes version, but there are these remedies for the seven deadly sins by meditating on the seven last words. Amen. Amen. And I highly recommend, and this was, uh, I stole this from Alan, so he, he'll know immediately, um, the book to pick up. If you just want like, okay, where do I start with Bolton Sheen? Uh, the book to pick up is The Victory Over Vice. Victory Over Vice. An excellent book. Very short, very easy to read. But that's going to do it for today. Thank you very much, Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen today. God bless you. Happy Triduum to or Holy Triduum to you, rather. Well, thank you. And uh, have a blessed Easter. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Alan. And that's going to do it for Catholic Drive Time. And we are going into Holy Mass. If you want to join us, you can hop on our social media streams. We'll continue streaming after the hour. And you can hop on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or not Instagram, Twitter, all of our social media feeds. And you can join us then. We'll be right back. When I was outside of the church, there was always an unsettled feeling. There was always a feeling of something missing and something not complete. The, the deal clincher is we found our way to our, our parish. And we met just an incredible pastor. We learned things that we'd never been taught. Wouldn't be the person that I am without the church and without the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist. I can't live without it. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What does it take to constitute an actual church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a gathering of Christians is not automatically a church. Although Matthew 18 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst. That is not a text to be interpreted as a premise for a church. That's a requirement to legitimize an accusation. Secondly, Catholic teaching. Christ established and sustains the church as both a mystical community and a visible organization with hierarchy and jurisdiction. 
jurisdiction. And thirdly, my take. Eventually, you have to decide what one item is absolutely essential for our Lord to say, that's my church. So is it a church if there's simply a common belief in the Bible? Or perhaps just a doctrinal agreement? Is it compliance to the Apostles' Creed? Could it be the stamp of approval from a denomination? Maybe an ordained pastor makes it officially a church. So, you know that place you've been attending every Sunday morning at 10 a.m.? Maybe it's not even a church. Maybe it's just a good, healthy hangout. Ooh. I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know, and now in these past couple years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Shining the light of truth on the path of salvation. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. This is the station that the Lord has made. KSHJ, 1430 AM, Houston, Texas. So listen on air and online at grnonline.com. Rejoice and be glad in it. is to tell everybody Jesus loves you. We're all called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Thank you. Well, this is family night, and many people have asked me, in the last couple of months anyway, to make Stations of the Cross. How many people here remember Stations of the Cross? Huh? You, most of you do, don't you? Well, uh, for those who don't know, if you go into a Catholic church, at least most of them, you'll find plaques on the wall. And they're numbered, one, two, three, up to 14. And you usually have seven on one side of the church, and seven on the other. And the purpose of this is to recall the life of Jesus' passion and how he, he died for us. And the purpose of that is to make us understand what sin, that's a dirty word today, isn't it? We don't talk about sin today. So you want to hurt people's feelings. You make them feel guilty. But that's what I want to do tonight, make you feel guilty. <laughs> 
but in a good way, not a bad way. There's good guilt, isn't there? Your conscience tells you, uh-uh, that you shouldn't do that now. So there's good guilt, then you do something and you, it bothers you, so you know the next time you shouldn't do that. So that's good guilt. Then there's that guilt that comes from, from thinking God doesn't forgive, and he doesn't forget, and you're the biggest sinner in the world, and, and all this kind of thing. And that is not good guilt. So these stations of the cross are very powerful. Because when I have a cross, you have a cross that's too heavy to bear. Then if you look at him, your cross suddenly seems smaller. Did anybody ever, could you were carrying a heavy cross, and somebody comes up to you and, uh, and tells you all the things they're going through, and you, you kind of say, oh, God, you know, I thought I had it bad. Did you ever have that experience? And all of a sudden, you feel better. You feel, well, gee, you know, everything's happened in that family, and, and here I have one little cross, and I'm beefing about it. So you feel better, don't you? But that's the whole purpose of the stations of the cross. It's not an abstract thing, it's a very, very real thing. I make them every day. I don't feel good if I don't make them, not because I'm scrupulous. I had a superior one time who said I, she wished I had a couple scruples, you know? <laughs> anyway, it's just because I feel like I'm missing something in my own life if I don't make those stations every day. So we have to learn something about his journey so that we know how to live our journey. We all have a way of the cross. Every one of us has a way of the cross. And sometimes we get kind of upset with it and we get we say, now Lord, pick on somebody else, you know? And, and we just feel like we've had enough. Did you ever feel that way? Did you ever feel that way? Yeah, you feel, I bet after you broke your arm, you felt that way. You just didn't. Huh? Yeah, you just didn't need that. And, but then here's where we need to look at the stations. And what I want to do, if the Lord will give me the grace, or you pray for that grace, is to apply these stations to your everyday life. See, if you just make the stations and you just kind of look at Jesus in the path, Jesus said, who does anything to you the least, to me the least, you would do it to him. Is that right? So your cross is his cross. So we're going to take the first station. Now, if anybody wants to call in between here, please do so. We don't, if we don't finish the stations this week, we'll just finish them next week. You know, we, when you own the station, you're not bound by time, are you? <laughs> <laughs> If you want to just take your time, you just go ahead and take it. That's all. So, this is not going to be a fun night, but maybe maybe it'll be a joy-filled night for you because if it lifts a burden from you, huh, then it'll be joy-filled. So, we're going to take the first station. Now, when we say station, we're talking about these little plaques they're little, they're tiny pictures, and sometimes very beautifully carved pictures. I've seen stations across that were hand-carved, that were a work of art. And I think we have three sets up the monastery. We have one outside, some of you may have seen it, 
and we have one inside and another we're about to put up. So I want to, to, to give you the first station. If you remember, Jesus went to the garden and he was abducted in the garden and, and the strange part about that, he said, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, and they all fell back. Did you ever see, did you ever wonder about that? They all fell down. And they got up again, and, and he said, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And they fell back again. Do you know why he did that? He wanted them to know that he was going to be in their power through his own power, through his will. He could have just slaughtered him, couldn't he, huh? He could have flattened them out right down through the ground. But he wanted them to know, wanted you to know, that he took upon himself the cross just on, on a will level. He wanted to do it for you. We don't bear crosses for other people very well. Do you think we do? Do you get tired of maybe one individual you know? Just constantly telling you about their gallbladder and their, huh? You get tired of that? You cross the street when you see him coming? Hmm? Well, see, Jesus is not tired. He wanted you to know exactly how he felt. He did this for you. And he wanted us to know as we look at the passion what sin is, we don't know. We think sin is just, well, we just made a mistake. Most of the time we do. But we don't understand the offense against God, do we? Hmm? If I gave you a sock, right in the eye. No? Well, if I did, well, that would be an offense, wouldn't it? That'd be a big offense because it'd be against love and against charity, Right? But if I gave uh, the President Bush a sock in the eye, I would be socking the entire nation. So that would be a different story, wouldn't it? See, that'd be a, quite a different story. Be all in the newspapers, you know, Mother Angelica socked the President. <laughs> and it would be a terrible scandal. And, uh, but you see, that's what we have to look at when we look at Jesus before Pilate, we're talking about Pilate, a squirmish little man who couldn't make up his own mind, very weak. We're talking about somebody like that condemning the Son of God. But it's unbelievable, isn't it? That the Son of God would stand there and not say a word. And that, you know, and, and Pilate said to him, you know, look, he said, you've got to answer me. So I don't find any cause in this man. He said, whose jurisdiction is he in? It's his cave. He said, well, send him over there. Can you imagine now the humiliation of Jesus standing before him? See, they had already scourged him. And, and a Roman scourging had no limit. Uh, Jewish scourging had 39 strokes. They used to say 40 less 1. I couldn't figure out why they just didn't say 39. But they always say 40 less 1. And, and, and he wasn't scourged by Jewish law. He was scourged by Roman law, which is when they got tired, they quit. 
And you have to ask yourself, why did Jesus permit himself to be scourged? What a very painful thing, huh? In reparation for all the immorality in the world. If you're having a tr if you're having any problems with with morals, I suggest that you think of Jesus being scourged at the pillar and in the agony in the garden. See, in the agony in the garden, Jesus knew all the people who would not benefit by his death. What a terrible thing. You know, there's a consolation, isn't it? Like if you had two of your sons or daughters that needed, each one needed a kidney, and you said, look, I'll give you one, I'll give you each one. Well, you wouldn't mind doing that if they were grateful, would you? But what would happen if they spit you in the face? What, what would you do if, if after you told them you're going to give each one a kidney, which means you yourself would die, and they would just look at you and spit, you, spit at you in the face? Well, you, you'd think that was the worst kind of ingratitude. Well, we do that to Jesus. You see, we look at his passion, and we don't understand he died for our sins. And he saw all the people throughout the centuries that would say no to him. Now, in your own life, haven't you stood condemned sometime before people and you weren't guilty? Huh? Everybody has. Has anybody here done that? Sure you have. Sometimes it's a little thing. See? A friend of yours goes up to you and says, Why are you mad at me? You say, Huh? I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry with you at all. Well, you look like you're angry. Well, maybe you got a toothache or something. It's a misunderstanding. You stand then before that person condemned, guilty of something you didn't do. And there's no way to talk them out of it. Did you ever try to talk somebody out of something that somebody who's condemned you for something you're not guilty of? That a terrible thing? Well, now you begin to understand, you see, what Jesus did. And sometimes you're condemned by your own children. See, you did your very best for them. And, and still, they condemn you. Well, why did you do this? Some children find fault with their parents because they were so good to them. Now, I never understood that. I was spoiled. You never loved me. You gave me everything, but you never loved me. Never saw love in the things you gave isn't that a, a form of condemnation? Don't you feel condemned by your children when as good as you were to them, they go out and go out on drugs? And don't you just stand there feeling as if you did something terribly wrong? But you didn't. They're blaming you for their bad decisions. Isn't that a condemnation? Huh? Now you know what Jesus did, and that's what you got to when you're condemned unjustly. That's why we have these little plaques on our walls. It's just not to run through them. and it's, it's, It has to apply to your life. If you want to really feel what Jesus felt, you've got to apply this to your life. And there's no person in the world, especially peer pressure, 
peer pressure for the young teenagers is terrible. And you stand condemned amidst a whole school if you don't go along with them. Well, think of Jesus before Pilate. And he was silent. He didn't say anything. Except once. Pilate got kind of angry with him. You know, he was a wishy-washy man. And Jesus was helpless. His hands were tied. He, he was uh, very, very, very torn up with scourging, crown of thorns on his head. And the first thing you know, Pilate says he's angry. He says, hey, don't you know I have the power to release you and the power to, to crucify you? And our Lord said a very strange thing, but a very wonderful thing. He said, you have no power over me except it's given you from above. Oh, he got him quiet down in a hurry. You know, that's the most powerful sentence in the world. Jesus said to Pilate, now listen to what he's saying. Jesus said to Pilate, you have no power to crucify me, no power to release me, unless it's given to you by the Father. He saw the Father's will in at weak Pilate. And the authority was given to him by Caesar, and, and Jesus says, no, it was given to you by my Father. He had to straighten him out. Well, how many of us now, how many of us uh, in our daily life, we, we have a hard time thinking this came from God or this was permitted by God, huh? You're, you're shaking your head. Isn't that true? You know, something happened in your life that you, you just, I got a call the other night from a, young, from a man who was just so hurt, his heart is so hurt. Because his little eight-and-a-half-year-old daughter died. I think she was killed. And, and, and what you think right off the bat, or is, and, and many tragedies happen in your life. You're gone along real good, and the first thing you know, you lose your job. You just bought a new house, and they, they fired you. You're looking forward with a, to a pension, and they fire you before your pension's up. So now you don't even get a pension. You get a big fat zilch. And, and we say, I can't see God in that. God is loving. God is compassionate. But see, Jesus found God. He found the Father in that unjust condemnation. And you say, well, that's not fair. Who, what is fair for us, huh? When we have done such a thing to the Lord, but what is fair? Sometimes we're victims. But we have to have that same conviction that the Father permits it in our life. And because he permits it, I must say yes to God. And I must find God in that very tragedy. Is that hard? Why do you think it's hard? I don't know. Maybe I expect everything to be well. You expect everything to be well. Yeah, because we God's yeah. To be there. We, we we expect heaven here. Right. Huh? 
We expect heaven all the way to heaven, don't we? But Jesus did <laughs> No, no, heaven all the way to heaven. And, and you know, it's not practical. It's, it's all, your body doesn't even think that way. It, it begins to deteriorate. Is that your husband? Does he look now like he did when you married him? <laughs> no, not really. But see, he changed. It, it, there's always a change going on in us, and 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 so we 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 have a tendency then to to want to hang on to what's right right now, what's giving us joy, and. It's not going to hang on. It's on its way out. On its way out. And, and you see, Jesus now gives us many lessons in that first station in our daily life. He taught us that many times the very best thing we do is not appreciated. The very nicest thing we do to somebody, they, they turn it around against us. And you look at them and you say, I don't believe this is happening. In the Psalms, it says something about this, you and your best friend that used to go into the, the, the temple of the Lord together and share things together, now becomes your enemy. And Jesus did all of that in that first station. See, what he was saying, it's a father, don't worry about it. You know, I'm standing here unjustly accused. Well, he's unjustly accused so we have the second station. We don't understand really what it means to carry a cross. We all have our crosses and sometimes we make them ourselves. That's why they don't fit. See, the kind of cross you make yourself never fits. And that's why we can't bear it very well. And we all have to admit we kind of make our own crosses sometimes. But this cross was made specifically for Jesus. Now you, you're talking about a man who has already lost a lot of blood, who is crowned with thorns. Uh, he, he, he takes that cross and he can hardly, hardly hold it. He's just so exhausted. And don't we get that way sometimes? Huh? Don't you get tired of carrying your cross? Don't you get tired of that pain every day? Of that, that thorn in the flesh every day? Don't we get tired of that? Don't we wish somebody else had it or, or this thing would end? Do you ever feel that way? But see, Jesus began his passion with the cross when he was at his worst, physically at his worst. And, and, and we too, We too carry our cross difficult, in difficult. We feel scrupulous about that. Do you feel scrupulous sometimes when you're when you're beefing about your cross? You feel guilty? Yeah. You really want to bear it better, huh? And all of a sudden you're griping about it. See? And and Jesus said he felt that way. Here is this this big cross, this big beam they put on his shoulders, you're already red with blood and already torn up and and he has to take this this cross he has to bear it he can't he can't give it to anybody he's he's got it 
and he's got to carry it. But he's so weak, he falls. That's the third station. He falls. He can't, he can't carry that cross. Now you're talking about the Almighty God in whose hands the planets, the world, everything rests. See, it's like, it's like he took his divinity and just put it aside. St. Paul says he emptied himself totally emptied himself and he became like you just with, a, with an endurance that was, was almost limited and yet his was unlimited nobody could face the cross could suffer the scourging and the crowning with thorns and then take a cross on his shoulder and not without dropping dead right there so he kept himself up for you just for you. And you see, when we fall under our crosses, we have to get courage by looking at him. He said, yeah, he fell too. It got too much for him. He put aside his power. He put aside his omnipotence. If I had the power, I wouldn't have put it aside. See, but he, he allowed himself to be totally human and limited, and he fell. He fell. Now, was his fall ordained by God? Well, you could say it was, but certainly permitted by God because our human, since he took on his human body and laid aside his divinity so he could suffer all that, the body can just take so much. You can lose so much blood, you get, go into a coma. You, you can take so much of a beating and you pass out. You, and, and that's what he, he wanted to suffer like you do. And, and, and ours is usually from our human nature. Yeah, do you want to ask a question? Yeah, well, let's say, you know, it, it, it's uh, rather painful when you think about all this, but you think about a friend, too, that's been hurt. Yeah. real bad and uh, how does this help me when I think about Jesus as opposing to thinking about a friend what uh, that's been hurt and so forth how do I, does it, what's the difference when you you're talking about something happened 2,000 years ago how does it, what is it but it's not 2,000 years it's today when I carry my cross and I fall, fall beneath the weight of it Jesus is carrying it with me when I see a neighbor that is so in such pain, dying of cancer, or who lost loved ones, all the tragedies of our human nature and our, 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 our country, especially today, people going bankrupt, all these kind of tragedies in our lifetime, Jesus is suffering all of that. What I do to them, I do to him. When I'm helping my friend, I am doing now what I wish I had been able to do at that time. It's not a past, something in the past. It's something very present. I've often wished, haven't you often wished you were there? Yeah, that's kind of frightening way. It's frightening, but don't you wish that maybe like Veronica, you could have... We're going ahead of ourselves now, but we could have kind of broken through the crowds and wiped his face. Don't you wish you could have just tripped one of those soldiers or done something to them, you know? <laughs> that, that they have the audacity or 
run around looking for the apostles and saying, where are you? Why aren't you with the Master? You know, you, you just wish you could do these things. Well, the Lord affords you that opportunity now. When you do something like that for your neighbor, when you raise up a man that's fallen beneath his cross, when you raise him up, you're doing now what you couldn't do then. That's why the Stations of the Cross are something very much alive. It's very much alive. And, 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 and Jesus, Jesus was, was moved by this by the terrible treatment he got. Those soldiers just didn't let him fall. They would crack him with a whip or, or try to get him back up again. We have to continue. This is where faith, hope, and love come in. See, I have to see Jesus, and then I have my faith has to be enlivened. My faith has to grow. And I know that even though I've fallen now, I can rise again. I can be forgiven. I can, and maybe I don't take the crosses like you said. We want to be heroic. You know, sometimes we read the lives of the martyrs, and we say, wow. I like to be a martyr. We can't even take a splinter. You know, we get a splinter in our finger and we're crying our eyes out because it hurts so bad. But see, that's where Jesus gives us courage. Now, the next station is, I think, so sad. Jesus rises. He, they put the cross back on his shoulders and he meets his mother. Sometimes I wonder how, how they must have looked at each other. Can you imagine, for example, um, someone you love in that condition? And say you were the one in that condition. Wouldn't you be embarrassed that you're, the one you love so much could see you like that? Huh? people that have cancer and they take uh, chemotherapy or radiation, they lose all their hair. Isn't that a, a, a terrible kind of cross and embarrassment when the ones that you love so much have to see you bald-headed? Different operations that are, are so tragic. I saw a man not too long ago that lost all of his jaw and part of his face. And I thought to myself, what's in his heart when, when his mother looks at him or his, his wife or his children? You know, you, you have to take those kind of things and know that when Jesus met Mary on the way to the cross, they had great sympathy for each other. But that heartache of Mary seeing someone she loved, loved so much in such a terrible condition, and she's helpless. Hmm? Yeah, you've all had experience, haven't you, with children who are, there's nothing worse than children with terrible diseases. And you see them in bed, and they're lying there, and they're in pain, and you, you're helpless. The doctors can't do anything, you can't do anything. It's a terrible thing. Well, that's nothing compared to what Mary and Jesus went through when they looked at each other. But they did it for you, you see? 
And it's every cross you have, every pain you have, is like meeting Jesus on the way of the cross. And he looks at you with such compassion. See, he suffers with you. Jesus lives in me, huh? I just had a toe operation, and, 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 and those things are painful. Yeah, those little, little wires sticking out of your feet, you know, and you're, you're looking at those things and you wonder, why did I get this thing done, you know? It's better to have hammer toes or something, you know? And, and, and you think of Jesus there, barely able to walk up the hill, and you think, well, I don't have any courage at all. So, finally, the soldiers are afraid he's going to die before he gets up the hill. Because he's getting weaker. So they pull somebody out of the crowd called Simon the Cyrenian. They force him. He didn't want to do it. That was a disgrace. And they force him to do it. He had two sons with him. And I would imagine, though, when Simon took Jesus' cross on his shoulders, there must have been some kind of inner joy, some kind of inner feeling of, of deep awareness that I'm carrying is his cross. Well, that's an easy one, isn't it? Huh? How often today do we have the compassion to help somebody carry their cross. Are we forced into it sometimes? Do you know they say that the, one of the things wrong in the world today is a lack of compassion. We have a lot of misdirected compassion, but very little real compassion. We don't want to even listen to the same person telling us for the 25th time about the same operation. We're not too good with organ recitals, you know? Gallbladder, liver, kidneys. Uh, we, we just are not too good with these kind of recitals. We, we just don't like it. And, and are, are we forced sometime to do acts of love and acts of charity? But you see, Jesus wanted us to know he needed help. But somebody had to be forced to help him. The man who cured the blind, who healed the deaf and the dumb, who made people walk that never walked since birth, who raised the dead. Not one of those people was around during his crucifixion. There wasn't one in the crowd, and I'll bet you there were a lot in that crowd. They were so filled with human respect. And how, how many times do you suffer out of human respect? But see, Jesus wanted us to have joy. Even though Simon was forced to help Jesus carry that cross, Jesus, I'll make a bet, gave him an inner joy. Don't you get a joy when somebody dies and you go over and you make a, a great big plate of spaghetti or Irish stew and you bring it over to them so that they don't have to cook? Aren't you being another Simon of Cyrene? 
If you go and visit somebody who is, is alone, or you bring him to Mass on Sunday, or you care and say, you know, do you, do you need something? Can I bring you some hot soup? Aren't you being a Simon and Cyrene? Aren't you doing for Jesus what Simon did for Jesus? The next station is Veronica. Veronica is that woman in the scriptures who came out of nowhere and went into the crowds, disappeared. She took her veil off. And she ran to Jesus. And you have to remember that the soldiers, one of the things they used to do that was so gross, they would spit at the, at the men that were being crucified. I don't think there's anything, anything that turns my stomach is if I see a man rolling down his window and spit out of his window. <laughs> All I can do is pray the wind comes a different direction <laughs> and brings it right back in his car. You know, I've had that prayer. It's never happened yet. But every time I see that terrible thing, I just pray, Lord, let the wind, reverse the wind, Lord. Just revert, just once, Lord. <laughs> reverse the wind. And, and nothing ever happens. There's nothing worse than that. And yet, these people spit in the face of Jesus over and over again. The Lord of all, the God of heaven, the majestic one, the holy one. And this woman, I hate to say this, but it's almost forced to say it. All the men ran. The women stayed. That weak sex women. They were at the cross. They were at the, all the way up to Passion. They were there after the after the, the death of Jesus. They were there Easter morning. Out of strong women. And this woman was strong. She broke through the crowds, pushed through the soldiers, and wiped his face. Every night before you go to bed, you need to ask yourself a question. Did I wipe someone's face today with my love, with my compassion, with my power to listen? Did I wipe someone's face? Or did I smear it with slander, calumny, gossip? You see, when you do those things, you spend hours on the phone gossiping about this one and gossiping about that one and tearing this one apart and tearing that one apart, you're doing that to Jesus. It's not, the stations are not something in the past. There's something each one of you go through at some time in your life. Some time in your life. And Jesus was so, by that time, so exhausted, he falls again.
That's the seventh station. Jesus falls a second time. And what he's saying to us there is that it's not easy to strive for holiness. Did you ever have sometimes um, uh, a desire to be holy and everything seems to be falling in place? You're praying good, and you go into church, and you just want to stay there for hours. Did you ever have that feeling, huh? And, and you're just on your way now to holiness. And something happens to try your faith or to try your hope, and down you go. You're nodding your head. You thought you had it made, didn't you? I used to think that when I was a young sister. I was always getting another secret I would work on to be holy, something that made it easy. You know, I liked everything instant. And I thought all you have to do is do God's will. And that's a simple thing. And all you have to do is God's will and bingo, you, you're holy. That's what it says here. Well, you see, that's fine for about three days. Huh? Did you make it three days? I used to make it about three days. Three days, and my resolution was shot. Something would happen that I could not understand, and I, can, I would say to my dad, cannot be God's will. I forgot my station, see? It can't be God's will. I blow it. I go back to zero again. Go back to zero. But the Lord got up again. See, he got up again, and that's what he's saying to us. Don't worry. You failed. You're sorry. You, you've gone to confession. You, you've determined not to do that again. Rise. You're, you, you're tired fighting. Did you ever get tired fighting? you ever just tired of life? You get up in the morning, you work all day, you come home and eat. You go somewhere maybe, you go to bed, you get up in the morning, you work all day. You go on the vacation and you're more tired when you come back than when you went. And broke. <laughs> you're broke besides. But the Lord said, it's okay, you know, keep going. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about it. Don't think of the past. You have, you have this present moment. Get up. Okay? Mother, I, I wanted to ask you, it may not be a question you can answer, but when I, growing up, I went all through Catholic grammar school, high school, and so on. The significance of the stations was never explained as it meant to our lives. Is there some reason for that? I think that uh, by mistake, I think the, 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 the stations were relegated to Lent. And uh, every Friday, I don't know what you did in your, did you every Friday? You had stations of the cross at night? Yes. And, and of course, the, the stations during Lent was concentrated entirely upon the passion, the suffering of Jesus, which it should be during Lent. But I think where we missed it, it was a beautiful thing that God gave us and St. Francis, I hate to brag about it, but um, <laughs> it was St. Francis who gave us the stations. And 
the stations were geared towards making you understand your own stations in life, your own crosses. And we all suffer denial. We all suffer aloneness when, when we're in pain. There's nobody there to help. We, we all suffer betrayals. We, we all do that. And if we don't use these wonderful stations of the cross that are in every Catholic church, if we don't use those to, to look and say, well, Lord, it's happening to you now through me. See, the Lord said, what I do to you, I do to him. And so whether it's a just or an unjust cross, I'm doing it to Jesus. It's constantly going through his stations, through in your stations. And, and if you don't look at these, if you look at the stations of the cross, as Bill was saying, as something in the past, you're, you're going to, it, it's, it's wonderful to have sympathy for Jesus. And I recommend that. Because that's the whole purpose of that, is to, to make him know how much he loved you. But if that's all we do, then it's something in the past, and Jesus is in the present moment. When we have Mass every morning, it's not the past sacrifice, it's the sacrifice we see now. In the eyes of God, all things are present. It isn't a, t a sacrifice 2,000 years ago. It's a sacrifice on that altar right now. The very same one. Not over and over and over, but the very same one. And, and I'm there. And I think it's unfortunate sometimes that we were not taught that those stations of the cross are there to elicit sympathy and, and, and compassion for Jesus. But I got to see myself there. I got to see me. And I have to see how he bore his cross under the exact same circumstances. When we, when we stray away from God, we have nothing to hang on to except our own human nature, which is not prone to holiness on a natural level. It gives in to itself. Without God, you become an animal. Now, I know a lot of people aren't going to like that, but it's true. You cannot, you cannot listen to a news item. <clears throat> you can't listen to a, a man who, who kills 60 people, chops them up, and puts them in his refrigerator. You cannot tell me that that's not like an animal. It's worse, because animals don't do that. So these kind of things are tragedies, and when they happen to someone you know and happen to someone you love, you've got to run to the cross where Jesus was so torn. You can't, now no one was ever scourged by a Roman that even, that even survived. His skin was torn off of him. No one could see Jesus crowned with the thorns, and these thorns, I saw the thorns, they were that, that long. And, and no one can be crowned with it. Now, that's, that's abuse that is this torture. And I, I have to relate. Whatever tragedy hits me, I must relate it back to the stations in order to make any sense out of it. And know that when that soul died under tragic circumstances in a state of grace, 
they got a tremendous reward in the kingdom. Tremendous reward. We had another, another, uh, yeah. Uh, two questions. Which station can we associate with patients? And the second question is, why is the Friday night Lenten service down to a handful? Why is it sort of going? The first question is, what's all of the stations relate to patients? I, I would think the one that relates to patients most of all was when our dear Lord was nailed to the cross. And, and there's no indication he gave out even one little scream. Uh, that was the most a terrible pain in the world. The patience of, of being on hanging on a cross for all those hours and, and uh, all, praying for his enemies. His unbelievable patience, compassion. If our Friday night services are blah, if you have them at all, if you have them, rejoice. But if they're blah, there's something wrong. The spirit is not able to come out. We don't cry for anybody anymore. We don't have the compassion to cry for someone else's pain. We've lost compassion. We don't feel what our neighbor feels anymore, and we don't feel what Jesus felt. We're hard of heart. And we have to ask our Lord, take away this stony heart and give me a soft heart of flesh. We can see the ter most, we, we're curious about an accident, but we're not compassionate. See? We're curious, but not compassionate. We don't cry over Jesus, and if we don't cry over him, we're not going to cry over each other. See? We don't easily cry. We're ashamed to cry. We're ashamed to show that I feel down to my guts what somebody else is feeling. We don't have that empathy. See? We're cold-hearted. For that reason, we don't have that compassion. We have a call from our audience, and I don't want to miss them. Hello? Hello? Good evening, Mother. Good evening. Um, I was assigned to write the Stations of the Cross at one time, and I, w I want to ask you a question. Now, in writing the Stations, I found many books, especially the Pieta, that was very helpful. And we know that no man's cross is for himself alone. Right. And we are now aware that we all have to uh, live out his passion, death, and resurrection. But when I came to the fourth station, there was nothing in the books about it. And I was trying to have the books help me. So I want to ask you if this fourth station is correct. When Jesus looked at Mary, <coughs> and they looked at each other, mm -hmm. and there wasn't a word said. No. But what was said to me is, there were two hearts beating as one, enduring the will of the Father. 
And then I became aware of the precious blood of Mary because it was her blood also being shed upon the cross. Now, I don't know how correct this was. And when I came to some of the stations, you can't find everything in books. So it's like you're giving your heart on the cross and learning to pray from the heart. I came to the seventh station and I couldn't find very much. So Jesus said, just open your heart and let me put you the face that I right. put on Veronica's veil. Right. So well, this, is, this has been a tremendous experience and it's very healing. But when I came to the cross on the, uh, where he was raised up, he says, I will raise you up. Well, let me, let me explain that for a station as we did just a, a minute ago. The words pain is when you see someone you love suffer intensely and there's nothing you can do about it. The worst thing about that was the humiliation of Jesus seeing his mother see him in that condition. See, we, we, we don't get into anything. We don't get into the pain of Jesus. I think that was one of the worst pains Jesus and Mary had. When Simeon said to Jesus, to Mary, when she brought Jesus at the temple, at the presentation, he said, this child is destined for the rise and fall of many in Israel, and a sword shall pierce your heart. I think there were seven swords that pierced Mary's heart. I think that when she glanced at Jesus, and Jesus glanced at her, either one able to help, there was no way he could comfort her and no way she could comfort him except through her love and his love for her. I think that's when a sword pierced her heart. You can't look at someone you love and know that they're suffering intensely and you can do nothing about it and not have your heart break. You can't. It's impossible. If you haven't gotten that far, you're bad off. You can't look at these babies in Africa that are starving and then just turn a page. I mean, there has to be when we've lost that. When you lose God and when we lose when we lose compassion for Jesus, you lose compassion for each other. Everything is just a news item. Nobody cries anymore over the right thing. We don't want to get involved, you see. Well, I hate to say it, we only got two minutes left. And we've only done seven stations. But I hope, I hope that you see yourself in there. Do you see yourself a little better in the stations than you would before, huh? Can you relate to stations to yourself now? Can you see yourself condemned sometimes? And then look at Jesus and say, how did he hide in, in total silence? And, and take upon your cross, yourself, a cross that you feel is too heavy for you right now. You just don't have the strength for it. And then fall beneath it. Have you never looked at someone you loved and just felt so frustrated because there was nothing you could do? Have you ever has suddenly had someone out of nowhere come and help you when you thought everything was lost? Huh? 
Did you ever have someone have the courage to stand by you as Veronica did in a terrible situation when everybody's against you? Everybody. When there's no one you can point to that said, here is a friend. You ever had that experience? Huh? Then have somebody come out of nowhere and say, I am your friend. Yes, he had his stations. And so do you. I would encourage you to go to your local church and make the stations. If you don't, go to your bookstore and get a book on them by now. I love you. Hope you've enjoyed this program. All rights reserved. Unauthorized copying, public performance, and broadcasting of this recording is prohibited as provided by applicable law. If you're interested in ordering additional copies, please call the EWTN Religious Catalog toll-free at 1-800-854-6316 or go to EWTNReligiousCatalog.com. listen to you for about six months now and you've really got my mind turning on my faith and my doctrine and my beliefs came to know christ through a pentecostal church and just listening to the beliefs of the catholic faith and had me really reflect on what i believed and what the truth was so i'm kind of leaning making a difference ewtn radio check out what's online now at ewtn.com Click on the EWTN Prime link on our homepage for EWTN's new primetime lineup. Updates on shows like EWTN Live and classic episodes of Mother Angelica Live are online now at EWTN.com. Take two with Jerry and Debbie. Women of Christ. More to life. EWTN News In-Depth. No one does Catholic radio like EWTN. Father Benedict Groeschel. I must tell you that from what I observe from very young people, all of these blasphemers, all of these mockers are in for a tough time. Because the devil bites his own tail. And I find among young people a growing reverence and longing for God. I find a decline in the cynicism and skepticism around because it had to destroy itself. No one can live on being an enemy of God. It's too crazy. It's too absurd. It's too dark. It's too bleak. God is beautiful. God is holy. Why in the world mock God? EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Why do we need to pray? 
We don't pray because God needs our prayers. We pray because we need God's grace. And every day when I face the day, I realize I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) And I need God to walk me through my day, step by step, giving me the grace, the counsel, the love, the encouragement that enables me to glorify Him in everything that I do and become the person He wants me to be. Prayer is my lifeline. This is Father Donald Haggerty. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We pray for an end to the horror of abortion throughout the world. We pray that greater conviction of the sanctity of human life from the moment of conception to the end of life may increase in this world. That God as creator may be more honored and respected that the reality of God creating the soul from the moment of conception may be more realized by all people and that we pray that this satanic evil may be overcome by our prayer, by our sacrifice, by all that we can do to one day to see an end to this throughout the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, I'm Omar. And I'm Natalia. And we attend Our Lady of 